Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. Good evening, everyone. This is Terry Hutchinson. Welcome back to the second hour of Interpreter Foundation Radio this evening in our broadcast here on K-Talk. We have with me our co-hosts, John Gee and Kevin Christensen. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. And uh, we be, we uh, just want to let you know we are brought to you by the Interpreter Foundation, which is a 501c3 corporation, meaning all of your dedu- donations to it will be tax deductible. And believe me, they will put your money to good use. And one of the things that we do here every Sunday is we talk about issues that uh, people have raised questions about, uh, about LDS history, doctrine, or practice, and one of the basic missions of Interpreter Foundation, if not the basic mission, is to defend it through scholarship and through, uh, you know, some of our experiences. So we were asked this evening to talk about the issue of Joseph Smith and polygamy. And one of the things is, of course, Joseph Smith was practicing polygamy uh, in Nauvoo for sure, um, probably in Kirtland as early as 1831. And yet in the Doctrine and Covenants in 1835, there's a section that says marriage is, uh, you know, between a husband and a wife. And there were denials all the way through about polygamy, which wasn't made public until the saints were ensconced in Utah. So the question that I have for both of you, um, we'll start with you, Kevin. When did you first learn about this? Um, I can't remember when I didn't. Uh, I mean, just about polygamy in general, just, I grew up in Utah uh, during the 50s and 60s, and so uh, part of my childhood included, you know, watching the movie about Brigham Young at the Ward and about going to the Lion House in Salt Lake City. And uh, and they talked about it there, didn't they? Oh, yeah. They, well, <laughs> this is where, yeah, Brigham Young's wives were, and we'd, you know, we'd watch Dean Jagger playing Brigham Young in the movie, and Tyrone Power and John Carradine and all this. So there was a sense that uh, it was just, you know, part of the history, and it wasn't recent history, and I, I don't recall in my particular family any notable stories or concerns about uh, oligamous families in, in my family history. It was just, for me, it just wasn't uh, something that I ever got all that excited about, uh, except for it was, I, I found that the critics of the church often found it to be a wonderful stick to uh, beat people with. And I have known people who have had personal anxieties over the issue. And uh, and so, but there are, there have always been uh, lots of books and there in the past few years, past you know, couple of decades, uh, since I got involved with farms and Maxwell Institute and fair and I've seen and appreciate that there are people who are a lot more interested than I am and who've written some really remarkable things, you know, the Hales and uh, uh, Earl Lawrence. I'm looking at the at the Fair Bookstore, and they've got, you know, 10 very, very uh, scholarly books on the topic of, you know, Joseph Smith's polygamy or American polygamy or, or uh, different periods of, of the LDS Church and the transition. And I, I met uh, Sam Taylor when I was in California once or twice, and 
and he's written some things about that uh, from his perspective and his history with you know polygamous families and uh, parentage and in his own household so uh, there's just always been lots of information and lots of interest in certain circles so um, it's just something that if I really felt the need to dig into I feel like there's abundant resources out there yeah I've always felt that too I I think I've always known and it may be because occasionally my mom would mention it uh, I spoke in the last hour about my great-great-grandfather who joined the church in 18 he was born in 1840 joined the church in Denmark came over to Utah early on he uh, had another wife he had a plural wife in fact he spent time in the prison in the Utah State Prison with George Q Cannon and that group who had been arrested for practicing polygamy um, so that is in my background. But I agree with Kevin. I've, I've never felt that there wasn't a resource I could go to. Um, I've always been aware that there are articles, particularly in uh, journals like BYU Studies or something, where these kind of questions have been addressed in great detail. In fact, generally in more detail than I've ever really cared to read about, and I know we covered them in, you know, I mean, it wasn't part of the manual, but it just was assumed. I think nearly everybody in my age group knew about these things, and, um, you know, there were certain things that came to light, and I think I think that they are brought because those who want to give us misinformation about this topic, and I think there's probably more misinformation online about this than there is all about any other subject than the church. First of all, it's sensational. It involves polygamy. It involves family relations. It's real easy to portray Joseph Smith as a sex predator. It's real easy to compare him to other, you know, evildoers, if you will. Uh, I live in southern Utah. I have been there for more than three decades. We are right next door to a community that used to be heavily, heavily uh, fundamentalist, plural marriage, uh, not so much anymore, but um, it's just a way of life. And the reason that they give it that way is because it's the most easy way to sensationalize an attack on Joseph Smith and make him less believable to people. And and so for me, it is the focal point of a lot. Now I'll give you an example. A friend of mine was having some trouble with his testimony, and he goes back and forth. And he called me one evening, and he said, what do you know about this accusation about Joseph Smith offering to wife swap with William Law? And I said, well, I, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Obviously, if it, if it was a serious thing, uh, he said, no, no, this is what so-and-so says. And he named someone who's thankfully passed on. And uh, he's a former member of the church who had uh, made a great deal of uh, public credit about his involvement in the church and the institute program and things before he left and once he was safely retired and could get his pension. Anyway, he made this accusation about Joseph and William Law. 
And what he failed to do in his book was to acknowledge <clears throat> that William Law had denied that this ever happened. And William Law, as we all know, was no fan of Joseph Smith. Uh, he's the one with the printing press that was destroyed that eventually uh, contributed to Joseph Smith's murder. And even people that were not sympathetic to Joseph Smith acknowledged that this story was highly likely to be false. But he put it out there in his book. It's emphasized online all the time. And they are academically dishonest and don't mention the fact that William Law denied it, that William Law's son said, if my father had that happen to him, he would have challenged Joseph Smith to a duel. I mean, those are the kinds of things that get left out when we talk about misinformation on this topic in particular. And so it's it's very easy to get frustrated, and one of the things to do is to try and find out where can we get information. And so now the idea is, well, we're not only going to attack the church, but the church has come out and provided us certain resources on its official website, not to mention all of the scholarly material that's out there that Kevin's mentioned. And then they attack them for that. Oh, they're finally admitting this. They're finally admitting that. Where are some places that you feel people can go? And then I think the issue becomes, how do you weigh the evidence? What what kinds of things go into your mind as you weigh the evidence for this? So, John, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Kevin. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'm, since I generally deal with the ancient world, I can tell you all of the uh, main sources to go to about polygamy in the ancient world. Um, and that's an interesting perspective because they don't, uh, because that's uh, the wide historical breadth of this isn't usually brought in. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the church actually has a lot of really good information, and it's not finally admitting. I don't think we've ever uh, – well, it's been, oh, probably 180 years since anybody denied the church yeah. was practicing polygamy. Uh it was fairly open um, and very public, and um, and the church got a lot of grief for it. I remember as a kid um, visiting my grandma. She uh, she was taking care of her grandfather's old home, and uh, she showed us the. Uh, Secret hiding places where you would hide out from the marshals um, in the sort of secret passages uh, where it'd hide out if they came by. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't remember not knowing about it. It's been fairly uh, prominent. There are good, some good resources there, but. I'm mainly interested in looking at polygamy in the ancient world. Um, you know, Abraham, for example, uh, is uh, commanded to go into polygamy, and you look at the legal documents from his time period, 
and they're following that right down the line. Uh, so, but it's, you know, there are some things that even when the church was practicing it, the majority of men were not. Uh, and it's a complicated matter where there are families where this was an unhappy occurrence. Yes, that's documented. You can find it in the Journal of Discourses. Uh, are there ones where this turned out to be a good thing? Yes. Uh, again, that's going to be – but that's – probably no different than the monogamous marriages we have around now. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it's some some days it was in the ones where it was good. Maybe there were bad days. Um, you know, and, and all of these issues are really highly emotionally charged. Um, and just as most family issues are – and issues dealing with uh, sexuality in general in society are highly emotionally charged even to the current Well, they're day. highly emotionally charged, but they're also highly inflammatory in the public square. Yeah. Normally, they're private. But right. here, they're used as a club and a weapon, and it's it's weaponized to, you know— I mean, once again— Well, the, well we, just for example, the news story mm-hmm. today was the mayor of Toronto— Resign yeah. because he had an affair, um, and that's a that's a marriage. Well, it wasn't that he had an affair; it was an affair with a subordinate. I mean, you know, well, I think I, now our society would mostly be in the old days. Yeah, he'd do it if he had an affair, but now it's got to be somebody well, whatever, in his chain it, of command. I didn't read that deeply into it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it just just to say that this is a a. Uh, this is a highly charged matter, and it still yeah. is. And it is. And, and, uh-huh. and, and it gets sensationalized. Um, I doubt things for the families that experience this. I doubt that they uh, – that it was as inflation, uh, inflammatory and sensationalized then. Mm-hmm. I think we've gotten a little bit away from that my grandparents uh, were born 20 years after polygamy was ended. They knew. Oh, yeah. They, they yeah. knew people firsthand. Yeah. Um, my generation, our generation, yeah, we don't know any firsthand examples from when the church officially practiced it. And so we're coming at this with a lot of assumptions and presuppositions that may or may not be accurate. Well, I think it's also we look at it um, as, and we've talked about this before, with our 21st century cultural glasses, if you will, or blinders. For example, John, you deal in ancient Egypt. You deal in antiquity. That's such a foreign environment to what we have today that it, we would be foolish to just look at something and assume that we understand how they feel, how they acted and reacted based on our current moors. Yeah, and, and so an example of that with uh, the polygamy thing is some people are scandalized by 
um, how young some of the brides were. Um, and yet Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice writing at the same time is talking about the uh, was the characters elopes at fifteen. Yeah. Lydia. Yeah. yeah, Lydia Bennett. Um, but <laughs> but I to do that, I, I so I just sat down uh, today and used my genealogy and I looked at. So I've got my mom's side of the family joined the church basically in the twentieth century. My dad's side of the family in the nineteenth and early in the nineteenth. And so I just looked at uh, the ages of my female ancestors from the 19th century and when they got married. And uh, the average age comes out the same on both sides within a year, and that's at about 19. Uh, average age of marriage in 1960, first marriage for women was 20. Now it's 28. Um, but if I look at the range, so from my dad's side, the women got married from the range in the age range of 15 to 30. On my mom's side, who weren't members of the, none of these were members of the church, it was 12 to 22. And, um, and so it's actually the non member side of the family that got married earlier. You know, that's the, yeah, you, you look at your family history and you find some things. But, you know, Don Bradley um, had something interesting to say when I was getting ready for an interview um, about Freemasonry, but it also translates to this. In fact, in an article that he wrote on this topic, uh, he said, where the evidence is thoroughly mixed, a key interpretive question is, which of the hypotheses best explains the evidence for the other? And the example he was using was uh, the case of Fanny Alger, who's Joseph Smith's first wife. Because Second wife. <laughs> exactly. The first plural first wife. Plural I, wife. I, I stand corrected. So, yeah, because Emma was there. So the question is, was that a plural marriage or, as some have claimed, was that a, an affair? Well, the rumors and assertions that they committed adultery is easily explained if you're using the polygamy interpretation because not everybody was in the know regarding the polygamy at that time. And in fact, only a limited number of people knew about it until they came to Utah and it was made public, even among the members of the church. Although it did show up in um, 1838 in one of the church records. Mm-hmm. Okay. But... Once again, most people didn't know that. Yeah. So it would be very easy. Whereas if it had been an affair, there's really very little evidence to show that it would have been a claim of a plural marriage at that time. So, so once again, um, Don just says you have to weigh the evidence and – you have to do what fits the contemporaneous context, not what we say it is, but what the people at that time thought it was, what holds the greater explanatory power, what's more voluminous, what types, what greater range of persons, and what's less ambiguous. And when you look at the information about Joseph Smith and the practice as it, as it showed up, and then later Brigham Young, and on and on, 
as as Kevin was pointing out, there are a lot of very legitimate scholarly sources that you can go to. Now, there's people who have different conclusions on both sides. But for me, going to Brian Hale's, uh, he's got a website or he's got a three-volume work that documents just about everything. The complaint against him is, well, he's very supportive of Joseph Smith. That's not a complaint to me. That's actually a positive. Um, you know, we have a lot of other material people like Don Bradley, people who have studied this, and Richard Bushman, and people who have had access to the documents themselves have come to make certain conclusions. But all of that is tentative because some of what's being claimed is among the most private, and really there is no evidence one way or the other about certain practices between a husband and wife, like yeah. How exactly, how much contact was there and, in these marriages? You know, and, and uh, one recent book where the author was revealing his own peccadilloes, um, the, one of the reviews of it I read um, said, this is too much information. We don't, we don't really want to know <laughs> about some of this material, and um, and I think most people don't want to say about some of those subjects. That's that's private. I've I've been practicing family law for more than thirty years, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in families. And here's another thing to remember, and that is these areas, as was pointed out, are so emotionally charged that it influences the way you view the facts. Mm-hmm. I mean, people get up in family court and they say things all the time that you could technically say, ah, that's a lie. But they are so emotionally invested that to them, that is the truth. And so in these kind of circumstances, I I do think you really have to weigh the strength of the evidence, the strength of the recollections, the strength of the testimony. And the church certainly never denied that Joseph practiced. I mean, for a while there, they were gathering affidavits to prove it because there were legal disputes between the reorganized church and the Salt Lake Church. Yeah, and the reorganized church was saying, no, he didn't practice it, and and Salt Lake Church and, said, and yes, that's, he did. that's something that some members of the church still still know. I, I was uh, riding with a family member once, one of my in-laws, and she talked about how Brigham Young was the one that started polygamy. And I'm just thinking... What? I, 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 it was it was stunning to me that that still was carrying forth with a person that I actually know, and and so as I said at the beginning, there is so much misinformation about this that anything you read about it online, really just stop, take a breath, double check it, and see what you can do in order to make sure of all of that. So I would just say that, you know, it's important for us to do that on all of these issues, particularly those where people 
are challenging the credibility and the character of Joseph Smith because once that goes away, it is much easier to obfuscate everything that he has accomplished. And the consequences of that are um, very strong. Kevin, anything else to add before we move on to our next topic? Two small things. One is that they, uh, there's lots of there's some rumors about certain lines being uh, through Joseph Smith, but they haven't been able to find any so far with the DNA, which I think is interesting. And and most important for me is that uh, for me, polygamy in the church is social history. The Book of Mormon is foundational. 